This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host an annual conference, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Laura alden Kahn. Laura has been described as a walking MRI for the remarkable accuracy of her medical intuition. She has worked as a medium and remote viewer and trains corporate leaders in innovative problem solving through her Inner Edge program. She's the author of Intuitive Wellness and the founder and director of the Center for Applied Energy Medicine in Scottsdale, Arizona. With Sounds True, Laura Aldencom has created a six-session audio learning program, Unlocking Your Intuitive Power. She's also created an integrated learning kit called Color Intuition, Mastering the Energy of Color for Higher Awareness, Extraordinary Perception, and Healing, where she teaches how to awaken your consciousness of color. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Laura and I spoke about her near-death experience and how it relates to her current abilities. We also talked about how she sees colors beyond the visible spectrum and how to cultivate your own intuition as well as the importance of trusting your intuitive messages. Finally, Laura took us through an exercise for working intuitively with an event in the future. Here's my conversation with Laura Alden Kahn. Laura, you're described as both a medical intuitive and a structural intuitive. And quite honestly, I've never heard this term before, someone being a structural intuitive. I'm familiar with medical intuition. What does this mean, that you're a structural intuitive? It's a a great question, Tammy. And, And the reason I use that term structural is because for whatever reason, I get to intuitively see things in that way. And I think most medical intuitives are very skilled at the emotions that are in bodies that are part of the cause of disease. They're, um, they know where, where to go in the body. They, they understand different emotional or spiritual components that are going on as causations of disease. And as someone who's more structurally intuitive, I I get to see things in that way, in a structural way. For instance, cancer, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, just about any major disease has a very specific form that it takes on. Even our thoughts have very specific forms that generate in the energy field as well as in the body. The other reason I use that term is that I actually can look at structures, physical, man-made structures, 
as well as earth structures, mountains, water tables, um, when it comes to man-made structures. I'm often asked to look at bridges, hotel buildings, houses, things of that nature to discern wiring, water, any kind of mold or any kind of structural damage or faulty, um, like load-bearing walls, things of that nature in a building. So that's where structural intuitive comes in, and it's a bit different than medical intuition, although I apply it into my skills as a medical intuitive. Well, first of all, this is really interesting. I wish I had you around when I was shopping for a home, but I'm sure people say that kind of thing a lot. I mean, this is a very unique set of skills. But let's start with how you're applying structural intuition when somebody's working with an illness. You said, for example, that cancer has a structure. And let's just take that as an example so I can really understand. What does the structure of cancer look like to you? Out in the energy field, it's uh, real specific from any other disease. It has a very tight particle, tight in the sense of condensed or very dense structure of particle in the field. Typically, it shows up to me as a very black obsidian-like, the obsidian, the stone, black and shiny structure. It has irregular edges to it. Nothing is uniform when it comes to a particle that I see in the field when cancer is involved. It's interesting because it doesn't start that way. When I look at someone's energy field, I usually start out as if I'm about 10 or 15 feet away from them and gradually move in slowly, usually from the front of their body. It is at about four and a half or five feet that I typically start running into the different variations of structure of energy in their field. Now, it can show up as a fog, little particles, and when cancer starts, it's typically a very soft, round structure, almost like you're looking at a cell through a microscope. And and as the disease progresses, slowly over time, and unfortunately sometimes rapidly, those rounder, smaller, softer structures start condensing and they get really hard and they they start to um, coagulate. So more and more and more come into the field and it forms this really um, heavy, dark armor in, in the energy field and it holds that pattern there. All the while, the immune system is breaking down more. Certain cell structures are breaking down from the inside out and they start matching the quality of energy of these particles in the field. And so tumors start growing. And one of the fascinating things is the speed at which cancer can grow in the body, either very fast or very slow. And that is dependent, in my observations, on the density of those particles in the field. The more they are, the denser they are, the more aggressive the cancer is in somebody's body. So, you know, it's interesting. When I hear a word like structure, I immediately think of some sort of geometric form. But it sounds like you're talking about seeing structures in a much broader range of ways that structures appear to you. Well, I I hear what you're saying about geometrics because actually in my, again, in my observations over the last 30-some years or so, there are three basic forms that every shape takes. It's a circle, a triangle, or a square. 
and that's a two-dimensional way of looking at it, and certainly there are three-dimensional ways, cones, spheres, and cubes. So everything forms from those three, and they create different structures that can be very geometric, and they range in size and scale, and dependent on that size and scale also reflects the speed at which they grow and the speed at which they penetrate into the body, and and they have an amazing level of intelligence. And cancer, as well as other diseases, all have this intelligence embedded within their structure. And when I do my work, I look at what I call the four intelligences, energetic, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And it's by assessing those four intelligences that I come across the components or the causes and how they how the disease or the condition has been created now when you do a reading on someone a health reading do you see positive healthy qualities in someone appearing as a structure as well absolutely and and i really like to focus on that you know many people call me for what's wrong you know there are basically four questions that people come to me with, you know, am I okay? What's going on? Can I stop it? And if I can't stop it right now, how long do I have to deal with it? So we focus mostly on their problems, but the joy of my work is not only helping them solve problems, but support them in recognizing the beauty of who they are. Because one of the fun things I get to do is look at their heart, both very literally going down through the cells, the electricity that goes in the heart, and to really see the, the amazing function of our body and of the heart particularly. But I also get to see who they really are, the spirit of who they are, the talents and the gifts. You know, I've, I've been working with um, Dr. Oz's integrative medical team at Columbia for the last couple of years and this this body of work came from there because this is these are people in the heart transplant unit and any any other cardiac type of problem and so what I've discovered with my work with my own uh, clients that have heart issues is that when I go in and look at this beautiful light the electromagnetics that literally emanate from the electricity that moves through our hearts is the intelligence of their spirit is the intelligence of their gifts. And so many people, well, all of us, you know, we're all here trying to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to do. And this is, to me, the easiest way to access that and to answer those questions is to go into the heart. You know, every spiritual tradition tells us to go into the heart, listen to the heart. That's where our spirit is. That's where God is. That's where our answers are. And it's true in my experience. So going in and seeing that light, I can see their gifts. And that does have its own unique structure. It's very, very different from the structure of any disease. The, the joy and the beauty and the gifts and the talents of who we are are open. They, they really go the opposite way. They aren't condensed. They aren't static. They don't have toxicities in them. They are open, sweet. Um, you know, I often describe clients as flowers because that's what they remind me of and it's it's beautiful to be able to see somebody in that way and to support them in trying to see that about themselves too 
So if you were describing what the structure looked like in a person with a beautiful heart, it looks to you like a flower opening, or is that what you would say? Um, at times, yes. Um, and, and everyone has their own specific, unique aspect, and that's kind of a metaphor of of who they are. It exemplifies part of who they are. The energetic structure, which is slightly different, often looks um, similar to rays coming off the sun, or it can have cubes um, linked together. And within each one of the cubes, there's a specific gift or talent or, or, um, or aspect like humor and generosity and kindness. And it's interesting the way in which those aspects of a personality or a spirit are linked together can indicate the openness or the closeness or any blocks that may be hindering that fullness of who they are. So then I can go in when I see that. It's like, oh, there's a beautiful, generous person there, but they've been burned a few times, so they're, they're, they hold back. And so I go into that place where they've been hurt, um, talk to them about the timing, because a timing of an impact like that usually shows up, give them an antidote of some kind, because I believe everyone is their own best healer. So I offer them suggestions and ideas and exercises that they can do to awaken it. And then they go in and they do the work. Now I get these fabulous emails back and say, oh my gosh, you know, this has totally changed who I am after 20 years of psychotherapy. You know, so it's right there for us. And if not everybody has to see structure, I'm just, for whatever reason I get to, I suppose it's because I was just kind of naturally wired this way. Uh, I was studying to be an architect before I came into this work after an NDE and losing part of my physical sight. So I get to see all this fabulous way the universe and energy is put together. But it's really wonderful to see the vibrancy of colors that, you know, Crayola 64-pack hasn't even come up with that, are, that emanates from people's bodies all the way down to their cells. If their cells are happy and vibrant and don't have a lot of toxicity, the, the iridescence that comes off of them that resides within them is, is quite spectacular. I haven't yet seen any kind of digital display that really exemplifies who we are energetically. We're getting close, but I haven't seen it yet. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, and I want to make sure in the future that we circle back to your capacity to see the energy of bridges, let's say. I'm glad that people are consulting with you about the structural integrity of bridges. I mean, it's very important. But you mentioned something really important here, which is you said that you had an NDE, a near-death experience, and that you lost part of your sight, and that that was part of the catalyst for your abilities as a medical and structural intuitive. So tell us about that. What was the near-death experience, and how does that relate to your abilities now? Yes, I've always been intuitive. Like many people, I was born this way, although where I am now is certainly not where I started out as a, as a young girl or an adolescent. And around 16, I had some extraordinary experiences with another young woman, and when I told people about it, they had very interesting reactions, such as forming a prayer group around me and all this, and totally freaked me out as a 16-year-old. So I shut down and um, just tried to fit in and 
you know, with everybody else in high school and college and be normal, whatever that is. And then at 26, while I was studying to be that architect, I got very ill. Within 11 days, uh, I went totally blind. Doctors didn't know what was going on and died in an ambulance being moved from one hospital to another. And I went on that beautiful journey on the other side. Um, Didn't see relatives when I crossed over initially. I saw what I perceive as angels. And it felt so good to be home. Uh, I, you know, I lose words, Tammy, because they're, they're, we just don't have any that describes the vastness of who we really are. And when you pass over, you come back to that place. There are no restrictions. There is no body holding you back. You're free-floating consciousness and you can see and do and feel and experience anything that you're capable of from that consciousness point of view. When you said you saw angels, what did you see? What did the angelic forms look like? They first showed up just as sounds, because I couldn't see much of anything except this blazing white light, similar to sunlight as it shines on a chrome bumper of a car. It was so bright, I couldn't couldn't really see anything but that. So I could hear them. I could hear their voices. It literally sounded like a choir singing in the background, just this beautiful uh, melodic tone rising and falling around me. Gradually, I could see their form, and they were humanoid. I didn't see wings or anything like that. They had, as the picture came more clear to me, in this environment, they had the most beautiful blue eyes. I've, I don't really know a name of a color that exemplifies this blue. It's more grand than the Caribbean Ocean, than the Hawaiian Ocean, than Robin's Egg Blue on a good spring May day. It's stunning. And we spoke completely from heart to heart. No words were spoken in the way in which you can with a body because you don't have a body. So it's just all heart-to-heart communication, and I knew I was home. I knew I was surrounded by beings that loved me, and I knew everything was going to be fine. I didn't know the end of the story at the moment, but I knew in this moment I was totally protected and surrounded in love, and I was safe. And after that experience, it's like somebody completely switched scenes in a movie and the environment turned into a milky, black, velvety, just soft, soft environment. And I was led up into a building by another group of beings that were very humanoid. Um, They, they again, spoke to me through heart-to-heart communication I was shown my life as I had lived in the past, uh, particularly a scene when I was five, and uh, my best friend Sue and I wanted to hatch a robin's egg, and so we did. I stole one out of the nest. I was, I'm six feet tall now as an adult, and I was tall as that precocious five-year-old. So I uh, reached into the nest and stole the robin's egg, And we hatched it, and the poor thing died. Well, I watched all of that with these wise beings by my side, and I felt the pain of the mother robin. 
I felt my pain for doing that, and I even felt Sue's pain and remorse as she watched the situation. And I watched a lot of other scenes in my life, and I was told what I would be doing in in my life, in, in my future, even though at that time I didn't recognize that I would have a future, but they were talking to me about my future. And toward the end of this experience, I heard a very beautiful, soft male voice behind me who compassionately spoke these words. I heard, Laura, you can stay, but I really need you to go back. And with that, I heard another voice, a a woman's voice, saying, do you know where you are? Do you know what day it is? Do you know who the president is? And that was the nurse in neuro-ICU that was trying to wake me up from a coma. So I came back from that, and my life changed. I still didn't have all my eyesight. I lost all of it for a while. But I have what's called homonymous hemianopsia, which is basically left visual field blindness in both eyes. So if I were to look at your nice face, Tammy, I would only see half of it. It cuts right down the middle of anything. I can lose whole mountains and semis and houses in this vision where they just completely disappear. It's not black or white. It's just gone. And it's uh, because of that, I'm imagining, uh, well, I'm not even imagining, I guess that's the cause, because there isn't any rhyme or reason from a physical point of view why I can see why I can see in this way. But it started back up like I was when I was a child and got much more exacting as the years went by. So with this compromised physical vision, that's when you're special vision started emerging where you started seeing structures and it sounds like you see colors as well. I do. I do. I you know, I was munching on some cauliflower the other day and you know, it even still takes me back and surprises me, which what I love about life in general is all it surprises. But I was eating this little piece of cauliflower and this amazing green was emanating off of it. And I don't see it in my mind's eye. I I can, but I see it literally, as if someone has put me in a digital movie and digitized the green coming off the cauliflower. I see it third dimensionally. And it is not a brain condition. I believe it's called uh, synesthesia, because that's more of seeing colors when you look at letters whether it's a piece of cauliflower or a body or a rock or a tree or a pebble, it, it, I get to see it all. I get to see the radiant colors that come off of it going into places like malls or Walmart, which I don't go into very much. It, it's, it's rather chaotic for my sight because not only the products and the shelving and the floors and the lights have colors emanating off of them because everything is energy, so do the people. And if somebody's hectic or crazy in a crazy mood or angry or racing around, you know, they're they're tossing off all kinds of things. And quite frankly, I don't need that kind of overstimulation, so I kind of stay out of those places. But it all it all came back from that NDE and losing my sight. And do you believe that you're seeing colors that are outside the normal? visual spectrum? For example, I don't see colors that I think are outside the visual spectrum. Are you seeing 
shades or aspects of colors that I'm not seeing? Yes, yes. And, um, you know, we, we know that uh, red through violet spectrum that we can visibly see, uh, these, these colors are, uh, again, language kind of pales here. Their, their combinations are completely new inventions, if you will, from what we can normally see within that color spectrum. It's, it's like radio waves. You know, cell, cell waves have a different, uh, cell phone waves have a different wavelength. Um, radio, microwave, they all have uh, different wavelengths to them, just uh, electrically. And uh, so, too, is the, the visual spectrum. So I get to see things that are currently unseen. And the truth I know is that as we all evolve as human beings, this is who we really are. This is not just special and unique to me. It may be for the moment, but I know there are plenty of people out there that are very intuitive, that have sensations and experiences of colors shooting off of their hands, or especially people that are in uh, complementary medicine and doing healing work, hands-on healing work. They have experiences like that. For whatever reason, right, right now at this point in my life, these are sustained in me. So they're always there. Can you describe for me a color that is part of your vocabulary of color that might not be part of mine? But of course, as you describe it, then I'm somehow, I'm at least imagining it. So that's curious too. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, trying to describe the absolute because as soon as we go into the absolute, we're in a different place and away from our conventional mind and what we know to be true and solid in this reality. But to 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 do this, it imagine if you could, one of my favorite combinations is this, imagine if you could take all the luminescent colors off of a male peacock, that gorgeous iridescent blue, and purple and green and add sparkles in it like Disney came along with Tinkerbell pixie dust and put sparkles in it that actually captured light like prisms and would reflect spectrum light off of that and then add a little bit of Caribbean blue green weaving in through there and uh, that's just one color so it not only has quasi-shades of what we have in this spectrum, but it has a, a different dynamic. It has a different sense of movement to it because it is a different frequency. And frequency is all about patterns. And since, you know, red has a certain pattern and, and a frequency, green has a certain pattern, therefore frequency, and on and on we go. So things, colors outside of our specific um, spectrum that we can physically see have different frequencies. So they have different patterns. They undulate differently. They, they have, again, these different structures in them. It's not a flat color. It is, um, you know, like we, if you were to look at a wall or a painting, you'd, you'd see it in a two-dimensional viewing point, at least the color. What I look at is holographic. It has depth, it has breadth, it has movement and dynamic structure to it that takes it completely out of this limited spectrum from red to violet. And trust me, I can get lost if I wanted to for days just looking at a flower because I can see the roots and the energetic dynamics off the roots. 
the potential latency in the seed bulb if it's at that stage. I can watch the growth and maturation of a flower and the death of a flower before it even happens because the energetic pattern of the course of that flower's life is inherent within every single energetic pattern within the flower, no matter what stage of development it's in. So to me, you know, I, I, I love hanging out in that place. It's such a simple place of beauty and presence in which all things are there simultaneously. And if I know we were talking about color, but if I can add this too, Tammy, one of the things I get to do that I'm so privileged to do as this human being, and I know we're all capable of it, is when our intuition is up at a certain level and starts building and building and maturing, and you do skill set building like meditation. That to me is foundational in order to get to this place. But what I get to do is see in a 360-degree, multi-dimensional way, all of it simultaneously. And that's what we're capable of as human beings as we grow and reach for our spiritual uh, nature. That is our spiritual nature. When you're on the other side, that's the way it is. And there's no reason, in my understanding, why we can't be that way now here in these bodies. Now, because you can see these colors and structures that, at least at this point in my development, I don't see, I'm curious what the most beautiful thing is you've ever seen. There are so many. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a bee hovering around a flower, but I tell you the most beautiful thing I've ever seen is a fetus growing and at, in, in the womb. And when, there is a certain point around 10 weeks where the fetus's um, nervous system starts to entrain with the mother's nervous system. They become linked energetically, not physically energetically and the color spectrum and energetic dynamic the spiritual inflow and outflow of information and connection between the mother and the child is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen physically emotionally spiritually it is absolutely stunning it is consciousness and body merging with consciousness and body and the energy that comes off of that and the colors that come off of that is, is, is absolutely stunning. It's, it's your best day ever. Can you uh, take me one step further and describe to the best of your ability what it looks like so I can see if I can really get a picture? Okay, sure. So imagine you're looking at just a two-dimensional picture of a fetus and a mother's body energetically uh, there um, imagine a soft mist that is all light particles all these little particles coming off of the child coming off of the mother and that's what happens all the time anyway so when that entrainment begins it starts at the child's heart and the light that starts to emanate from the heart is primarily a pure white light with a little bit of gold in it, but it also has colors that reflect the personality of the child. 
um, musicians, artists, that natural compassionate healer or an advocate for people or the planet, any kind of advocacy or sense of justice, usually has higher frequencies, higher than the violet spectrum. They are colors that... They, that may sound negative, but they, they go into darker colors, like similar to the velvety black that I experienced um, in on the other side. Add add silver to that. Add you know what we call silver. Add what we call uh, eggplant. Add what we call a fuchsia violet to that. And those are some of the. I mean, they come close, but it's still not it because we just don't have language for it. And I don't know how to make up words for colors that don't exist yet. I must work on that. But those are some of the colors that come off when you have those kinds of qualities of personality. When you have uh, a personality that's going to be a debater, somebody who's stubborn, which, you know, can tie into advocacy and justice and things like that, the frequencies are much lower and therefore color spectrum is lower, uh, earthy, bricky, reds. Um, 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 again, I don't have language for almost trans, you know, translucent colors, colors that uh, seem to lose lose their color and yet they're there. They're, they're they turn into more of a knowing than anything else, and that's that's so obtuse to describe it that way. But I I don't currently have all the language I I need for this. And so that comes off of the heart, and that runs up right into energetically, not through any kind of a nervous system pattern yet, but it comes right up into the thoracic area of the, the, the mother's body and starts to entrain with the energy that literally does go into the thoracic area and then it connects with the ganglia that go into her heart and the nerves that literally stimulate the heart, including the 10th cranial nerve or the vagus nerve, it's part of the sympathetic nervous system. And then the rest of the spinal column of the child, which does include energy from the brain, starts to energetically wrap itself around the mother's spine. And then there's this flow. Um, those pipelines are open, so to speak, and there's this flow between the child and the mother. So we, we think in a conventional way that all the nutrition and the impact comes through the umbilical cord, which it certainly does, on a physical level. This type of entrainment or connection I'm speaking of will certainly not physically nourish the child or, or the growth, but this is an energetic and a spiritual connection between mother and child that, that happens every, every time I have yet to see this not happen when I work with um, women that are dealing with fertility and then I get the privilege of walking through the whole pregnancy with them. Thank you. That's actually very helpful and very beautiful. Thank you. I'm curious, Laura, if someone's listening and they're thinking, I'd like to see some of these prism-like colors and shapes myself. You mentioned meditation as a foundational practice, but is there more that you can say that would be helpful to somebody who wants to begin to open and develop this ability to see what you're describing? Certainly, um, and let me just um, preface this by saying the gifts that come from a meditation practice create the platform that one's mind or consciousness sits upon in order to do this other work. So with that being said, the most important aspect of a person 
as they develop and want to develop their intuition is the willingness to trust whatever comes forward. Because intuition is is often considered such a vague thing. It, it's not tangible. We can't get our hands on it. You know, somebody listening to our conversation uh, could really be scratching their head and rolling their eyes, and I can appreciate that. But to be able to trust themselves when things like simple synchronicities come come to end, those those are the propellants that start opening the gift more and more and more. And I use the word gift. It's it, intuition is a skill that we all have, but you know it shows up as this kind of surprise, which is kind of like a gift. So it, it is a gift in the sense that it is an unwrapped gift of who we are. And so that's why I use that term. Other practical things that can be done is to, um, you know, there there are lots of exercises you can do, and you can do them in tandem, and you can do them with um, just by yourself. One of the things that's best to do is to start working and experiencing nature. Nature itself is a catalyst for your intuition to come in, and you can do similar things to like what I talked about with watching a flower and or with your pets or or you know whether it's a dog or cat or a horse or even a fish it doesn't matter you can start intuiting and and practicing what's going on with them many people are already very in tune with their pets and, and vice versa the pets are in tune with the person Laura can you explain to me why nature or animals are a catalyst for developing intuition nature has no agenda it simply has no opinion on life. It is what it is. It is fully present in every moment. A tree is fully present to itself and its environment. And it doesn't have an attitude whether or not it's hot or it's cold. It simply is what it is. And in that space, you can extrapolate more and more information. For instance, if you're running, if you're going to do a, a reading or practice with a friend, you know, I'm going to read your liver and see what kind of emotions are there. Or I'm going to go into your heart and see what I can find out about your gifts. That's great. You can do that. And I invite people to do that with respect and compassion. But a tree just is already there. Your friend or an acquaintance that you get permission to do this with has stuff. We have emotions as human beings. We have impacts. So the information can be distorted and you may not get clear information and you may not get accurate feedback from the person. That's when it, you know, to get into a class, any class that teaches intuitive development, that's when it's helpful. Because like I said, trust is so important and we've got to trust it. And and the best way to start developing that trust is to practice with somebody else. I mean, a tree can't give you feedback, but it does start to develop the trust, the trust without feedback. And that's an important uh, important factor because you're going to start listening to your intuition no matter what. Now, I have worked, this sounds so almost silly, but it works. I've, I've done this with houseplants when I first started. Okay, I would um, look at a houseplant. I would intuitively assess the depth of the soil, whether or not there were any infestations in the soil, where the water table was within the soil, how, you know, where did it have water, where did it not. And then I would take my hand literally and go down in and measure the inches to see if I was accurate or not. 
that's a very simple way to start testing this. And you can't do it with trees or rocks or buildings necessarily. Well, although that's not true, you can do it with buildings. If your friend is having a problem with their house um, or, you know, if somebody wants to buy a house or if you are going to buy a house, if you're listening, um, get the address of the house. If you can stand in front of the house, stand in front of the house. Just center yourself. Be calm. Be still. And come from that place of presence with the house and discern and ask questions. Simple questions such as, um, are there any uh, water issues in the house? If, if so, show me. Um, uh, what is the current, uh, no pun intended, what is the current condition of the electrical system in the house? You know, and it'll, it'll light up and you'll feel it. Not everybody sees, and that's an important note here, Tammy, because a lot of, I want to see, I want to see. But a lot of people just know. A lot of people feel it. And many, many people hear it. And you really, when you get your intuition up and running, all of them are working at the same time. But that's a way you can do it with a structure, with a house. You can play or, you know, back and forth with a friend. But trust is very important. And then you start the exercises. Then you start the practices. And you build trust over time. The more you trust your intuition, the greater your self-esteem becomes, ironically, but it's true, and the stronger your intuition is. Now, I'm curious here. I have a very rational mind, Mm -hmm. along with other qualities, but my rational mind wants to know if you have tested your work, you personally as a medical intuitive, to know how accurate you are. And there's a second part of that question, which is when I'm imagining trusting myself and then the feedback I get, let's say, especially in the beginning is, well, you're wrong. I know that many intuitives are not accurate 100% of the time. So how do I trust myself if I'm not accurate 100% of the time? Absolutely. And let me start with the second one first, trusting yourself when you're getting feedback that you're not correct. Um, this This is when that burning desire of knowing that you can be arises within you and you don't give up this is in practicing and developing your intuition is like developing any other skill tangible rational skill in mathematics i wasn't so great in mathematics until i kept applying myself and applying myself the same is true with intuition and so you you've got to just take the feedback say thank you very much um and then you reassess what you saw and you felt and you heard and and how you interpreted that information, because interpretation of intuitive information is very, very important. It's at that point of receiving the information. It's just pure data, and then trying to, um, and not, not trying to, but then then assessing it and applying it and interpreting it, that's where a lot of people get lost and don't have accuracy because their emotions and what they think it should be gets in the way, and that creates inaccuracies. When I do my work, I am really just using my whole brain and my spirit and my heart, of course, always compassionate, but I am up, look up, literally up in my head, doing, uh, focusing my attention through the front of the brain, through those front energy centers, if you will, there too, 
and I am looking for data. I'm not looking, I'm not nervous either uh, because of all I've done. I used to be in the very, very beginning because it's kind of weird to step into this work. It wasn't what I had planned for my life. But over time, I must admit, I'm not G-O-D, but I am G-O-O-D. And I look for data. I look for information. And as far as accuracy, I have not plugged in the numbers, but based on feedback, I would say I'm up in the high 90 percentile. And the reason I can say that is because I've been doing it for almost 30 years. I don't really advertise my work. It's been spread word of mouth, and I have clients, not just one, but lots of them in over 52 countries. So I must be doing something right. I still want to understand this trust question. And I think where I'm coming from is, you know, I understand your analogy of mathematics, but if what I'm trying to do is learn and I'm making decisions in my life and I trust my intuition and it turns out that at this point in my learning curve, I'm only right 60 or 70 percent of the time, but I Mm -hmm. need to trust because Laura said that was the most important quality. And then I made a decision that screwed me up. I mean, I have to say, I I think I'm going to use some different approach next time, or I'm at least going to be wary about trusting. Right, right. And I am a person that doesn't put all my eggs in one basket. So I never make a decision strictly on intuition. Now, that's not uh, always accurate, I must admit. Sometimes it is so strong and profound that I go with it 100%. But typically, and in my work... I balance left and right brain. I bounce from intuitive side, extrapolate the data, get the data in front of me, and and watch where it goes, so to speak, in somebody's body, where it's related to physical structure, or if I'm making a decision about moving in my life or, or changing some direction, I pay attention to all the different connections that I'm seeing intuitively. Then I bring logic into it, and I do I crunch numbers. In, in the case of a, you know, like a physical move or a large-scale purchase or something like that. I don't do anything without balancing it between both sides of myself. I think that adds to risk, and I frankly am a risk-averse person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that help? That does help. I'm curious how that applies in the world of medical intuition, the balancing mm-hmm. that you would suggest for people. Um, well, when I do readings... Um, it is mostly driven on the intuitive side because that's what people are coming to me for. I'm also not a doctor, so I don't diagnose. But because of experience, um, I can understand patterns to certain disease states, like, such as fibromyalgia has uh, like five or six qualities, like a very foggy field. And depending on the color of the fog, it's either a fibromyalgia or it's leaning toward an Epstein-Barr or it's leaning toward a a chronic fatigue syndrome, and there are other structures in the field that does that. So I assess the, this is where structural intuition comes in with medical intuition. I assess the structures are in there, and then I see what's going on there. Then I get feedback from my my clients. I, I describe what's going on, not just energetically, because that can sound so otherworldly to someone, but I also tie in the emotional components that I'm picking up, um, if they ate something that's causing some inflammation in a certain area of their digestive tract, 
I'll ask them if they had XYZ type of food, and they're going, uh, yeah, how do you know that? Um, and then, you know, so I'm, I'm, use, I'm backing, I'm back and forth with logic and, and that, that analytical side, but mostly pulling on the intuitive when I do my sessions. I hope that helps. That does. When you do a reading, do you see mm-hmm. different potentialities? Like, this is what it looks like, but it could go this way. It could go that way. There are these different potentials. Or Is that how you see it? Yeah, I actually divide it up into three categories, the energy that I'm looking at or the emotional quality or spiritual gifts or whatever the, the target is at the moment. Uh, the three categories are potential, possibilities, and probabilities. And they actually show up for me in different forms. A potential is more of a fog, a colorful holographic fog, and it's just purely latent potential in there. Now, I go in there with my mind and uh, assess the different layers of consciousness, the direction uh, potentials that it has. Um, Timing is important, and it's usually embedded within that energetic structure. And a possibility, which is the middle range, uh, shows up to me like a marquee on a movie theater. I literally get the words, go to the left, move to Nevada now. You know, it, they literally show up. And again, timing and speed and intention of the person, emotions involved with it, any kind of blockages of, of the emotions that are not allowing them to reach that, um, that space of, of having what they want show up as well. Now, probability is much more closely related to what I would term a destiny of someone. And it could be a short-term destiny, like I'll see cars in people's field if they're going to buy a car or perhaps even have an accident. Um, I'll see babies in people's field. Um, Contracts, books. Um, You know, I work with a lot of um, good uh, best-selling authors. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them about their next book that's coming up, you know, and it's okay, it's about four feet away, you know, it's got this in it, you're going to write about this and this and this, and, and why don't you twist it this way a little bit, of, you know, it'll fit better with what you're really here to give people. And so that's, that's how I see probabilities. And so there's always these potentials, possibilities, and probabilities floating around in people's field based on their intention that they're talking to me about. Mm-hmm. Now, Laura, I just want to say I really appreciate your willingness to let me ask you some questions that might seem a little tough or challenging. Sure. I really appreciate it. And not all intuitives are comfortable in that realm. They can start feeling defensive or something, and I'm so happy that you're open. It's such an important field because people come to a medical intuitive and they hang on every word. Do you know what I I mean? So one of my things is I'm curious, how do you feel about that responsibility? Or do you see it as a responsibility? Yeah, it's it's tough. So I I always, um, I share in the process with them. I'm always there for my clients. Um, It is, I tell students that it's not for everybody. So unless you have a heart of gold and a spine of steel, don't even try to be a medical intuitive at the level that I would expect people to be a medical intuitive um, because there's there's a lot of that term and God love Carolyn Mason, Norm Sheely, Dr. Norm Sheely for developing that term because it really brought to light what I've been doing for 30 years and gave people a, a, a label. So I always, you know, I stand on their shoulders. 
And it, it is, uh, there is a lot of responsibility being a healer, and you do have to choose your words very, very carefully. However, if you are reading the person accurately, I can tell whether or not they can handle the information I'm ready to give them. And if they aren't, I turn it in such a way, not diffusing the facts at all or the accuracy of the data, but I approach them in a way that they can understand because the most important thing to be um, clear and responsible and accurate is to meet people where they are. And this is the one thing I see and hear from other intuitives, whether they be medical or just practicing intuitives, they just come from their own personality and blast it out of there. If you don't meet somebody where they are, you're not going to be able to help them. So that's step number one. And then number two is to be able to trust your information enough and so well that you can deliver it in a way that meets them well. You always come back to meeting them well. Because if you give them information that's going to scare the jeebies out of them or well that's the big thing you don't want to add to their anxiety they're already suffering your job my job as i view it is to give them compassion give them accurate information and send them to the healthcare professional whether it's an alternative complementary or western medicine that's going to be able to help them the most and it is a lot of responsibility but i trust my path you know this is what I'm here to do. There isn't one other thing that I can even imagine myself doing. I get to be alive and I get this skill and I get to help other people develop theirs and in the moment I get to help people that, that want my help. And there isn't anything else I can nor would want to do. Mm -hmm. Now I know one of the things you help people with is learning how to work intuitively with an event in the future. And I thought it might be an interesting way to close our conversation with having you take people through how they might do that. So our listeners might be imagining some event in the future, something they're thinking of doing or a meeting with somebody or a business relationship or something. How would they intuitively assess that event? That's, a, that's, that's great. And that's actually a lot of fun to do. Again, the first thing is you've got to set yourself up for uh, success here and be centered, have space around you, not a lot of mental confusion, because that's just a distractor. And one important point in principle about intuition is that it has no emotion woven within the data. If there is, it's not a clean intuitive hit. Now, an intuitive information can provoke emotion if you're worried about something or can spawn worry, but that's different. So you have to be clear mind and clear head, sit down, meditate for a few minutes, whatever a few minutes is for you. Some people can zoom right into an intuitive space. Other people need 10, 15, 30 minutes in meditation in order to do that. Have pen and paper ready. And when you come out of your quiet time, out of that stillness, you are totally hooked into your intuition. And write your information uh, or the question at the top of the page. And if you need to, you can do that before you go into meditation or some people like to do it after meditation. That's a personal preference. So you just have to kind of fit, feel that one out. 
It's also important if you if it's not just about you, what other people are involved here. So you might want to write down the known person's names involved in the decision or the process. And you can isolate just yourself and you can bring everybody in as a group. So you're in charge of how you look at the information, how you look at the question. Let's take for example that that I want to move to California. Okay, and I know intuitively it's getting close because one of the things you want to pay attention to is that inner feeling of restlessness. Restlessness is usually a clue. It's an instinctual clue. An instinct is a very primal level of intuition that something is about to change in your life. And people tend to freak out and get really scared and emotional, but actually it's, it's the universe coming and knocking at your door. It's your spirit saying, hello there, let's go do something else. And so it's exciting to pay attention to that. So you want to write down the emotions and feelings that are provoked by that restlessness or whatever concerns and worries you have about a meeting or, for in, in my case, moving to California. What would that be like for me? Okay, now the more heightened those emotions are, because when you write down those emotional words, you're going to feel that emotion, okay? And, and you can start checking those off as your intuition moves you along this path and these emotions will just fade into the background. They may arise again as time moves on and you move closer toward your goal, but they won't have the same impact. And that's very helpful and very important because, again, emotion is what stops most people dead in their tracks from trusting or even willing to use their intuition. It stops us with logic. It stops us with intuition, too. Same thing. So you want to say, I want to, I can feel the move coming, so when is it? So I would, in my mind, I would look at my, a calendar, like a blank calendar in my mind. Or I, you could get one out in front of you if, if that's what you need. And you would just soft vision go over that calendar if you have it in front of you and you would just feel where a certain stopping point is and then I would see if it was me going to California I would stop at that point and I would close my eyes again and I would just sense out that point in time what that is because just because you feel a stopping point doesn't mean oh gosh that's when I'm going to move that may not be when you're going to move. That may be something that interrupts the move, seemingly, or, or a myriad of other things that can come in. And this points out another principle of intuition, don't jump to conclusions. This is why people are less accurate, because they feel a hiccup in the energy and the consciousness of what they're looking at, and they assume that that is the answer. And it's not always the answer. It's just a rise or a fluctuation in the pattern or the path that they're heading on. So that's an important point. And, and then you just continue. Every stopping point, you keep asking questions. What am I to do here? What is this point about? What am I feeling here? What's important for me to know about this point? Okay, and then you just keep gathering more and more information and you write it down, you write it down, you write it down. Oftentimes when I'm working with people, I will see points in time that are forthcoming that have, 
you know, events associated with them. And this is exactly what I do. For instance, the other day I was working with um, a woman and she's feeling that restlessness and she doesn't know what to do and she's really confused. And so I start looking at the calendar again in my mind's eye about what's forthcoming for her. And I can tag the dates that she's going to start hitting things and don't be afraid if it's choppy, it'll last for 10 days. These are the emotions associated with it. There's somebody else that's going to come in and probably have this type of conversation with you. So be prepared if, you, if you're going into a meeting for that or if that's not exactly what you want to do, just be really clear on what you do want. And then you'll move through that 10-day cycle and then the path starts clearing and then, okay, and, you know, just pretend she was moving and there, there are bags, there are trucks, there's moving there, there's a new house, you're going to be on this side of the slope of the hill. And so I can start getting all this data about where she's going. And then I get feedback from them, and, you know, and it confirms what I've said. So this is one of the ways in which people can do that when they're going to do a meeting. Take it one piece at a time, always be centered, never jump to conclusions. When you feel something stop and interrupt, keep asking questions, keep getting information. When emotions come up, write the emotion, like anger, fear, worry, confusion, write the word out on the side of the page. Get it up and out of your body so it, it's not going to cloud your intuition in that moment when you're trying to, to discern what to do. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Thank you. Yeah. I just have one final question, which is, you know, you had a dramatic near-death experience in your mid-twenties and lost half of your physical sight, and now you teach other people, people who haven't gone through an experience like that, to develop the kind of intuitive seeing that you have. Do you really think it's possible that people can develop that level of intuition without having gone through an experience like that? I do. I, I truly do. I believe that I am, I guess you could call like a future human. And, but the rest of everybody else is not far behind me. And this is part of my work in the world. This is part of what I'm here to do is to help teach and to help reassure people that they can, they can do it. You know, when I was lecturing a couple of years ago, there were over 300 people in the audience. And I said, how many of you pay attention to the energy that comes at you from behind? And this was a group of healers and, uh, you know, really savvy people in energy medicine, and they, they, knew, they knew energy. And not one of them raised their hands. So all I do is point to the obvious in a, in a different way. Things, and as soon as I said that, Everybody went, oh, of course, of course. You know, simple things like that slow people's evolution down. But if I'm there, just kind of like the intuitive Vanna White pointing here and pointing there, they go, oh, okay, and they go flying. I think I have a lot of fortune here because we're at an evolutionary change in consciousness. I mean... You know, Tammy, there, there weren't yoga studios in strip malls 15 years ago. You know, there, there weren't TV shows of talking to deceased relatives and things on TV. There weren't superheroes with 
super intuitive powers on television. You know, this it, it shows up in the in the media where our consciousness is. Now, some of it's a little on the dark side, but that you know, well, that's contrast. Okay, we need contrast in order to grow. So I do believe because I've witnessed it in the years that I've been teaching that people accelerate faster when they're simply sh- when I simply share easy things with them so then they pop into their own gift they pop into their own talent the way i see is the way i see however i have been able to teach people to see this way to to grab their sense of empathy and feeling and be able to translate what i see into their own context and that's what's important too everybody's different everybody accesses differently but we can still access the same information accurately by just understanding the process and the principles involved in intuition, which is a natural part of who we are. I think it's the sweetest, most evolved place of who we are, from which this ever-ending well of compassion and joy and appreciation for not only our own life, but the way we live in harmony with others to the best of our ability, because we're always, always growing that's what's so important to me in my work right now. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Laura Alden Kahn. With Sounds True, she's created an integrated learning kit on color intuition, mastering the energy of color for higher awareness, extraordinary perception, and healing, as well as a six session audio learning course, Unlocking Your Intuitive Power How to Read the Energy of Anything. Laura, thank you so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge. My pleasure, Tammy. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. 